Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Hope you had a great weekend. All right, there is what is going on. What prosecutors would refer to as a slow guilty plea. Just started today in Milwaukee County. It's also a situation where, well, the Chamber of Commerce probably isn't popping its buttons because Court TV is in town, and they are covering the trial of a guy... Well, his name is Matthew Wilkie, um, Wilkes. Here, here's the deal. He is he's the 36-year-old guy who is facing charges of first-degree intentional homicide and being a felon in, a gun, in possession of a gun. He is the one who uh, murdered, allegedly, Tracy Smith at a busy Milwaukee intersection on August 30th, 29. You will remember this story. Um, Ms. Smith was a Department of Corrections sergeant. She worked at the Milwaukee Secure Detention Facility in downtown. This was the deal where um, she was teaching her, I believe, 15-year-old son how to drive. And it was, as I recall, it was a Friday afternoon, and they were driving. He was driving. She was in the passenger seat, and they were driving to... I know some clothing store or something is how I recall the story. In any event, um, the, the, the young man, the teenage son, he's turning left, um, from 51st Street onto Fond du Lac. And that's when this Matthew Wilkes turns in front of him from a lane on the right. So he's in the op, he's in the lane next to him, turns in front of him, and they have a collision. So they kind of like scrape paint or something like that. Both vehicles stop. Ms. Smith, who again, um, she's in the passenger seat, she gets out to check the damage of her car. Wilkes is standing on the running board of his van looking back um, at that. Smith then starts yelling um, at at the woman. It's like, you, you cut us off. You hit at Smith starts yelling at the guy. You, you cut us off. You know, what were you paying attention to? What were you looking at? At which point in time, Wilkes says, bitch, I'll kill you pulls out a gun, shoots her in the chest in front of her teenage child, and then drives away. Several bystanders rushed to help her. Her son drove her to a hospital. She later died. Video from the area revealed the van's license plate. Um, it was registered to him. They ended up catching him. So he's now going on trial. Like I say, we, we would describe this as, as pretty much of a slow guilty plea because there doesn't seem to be too much doubt about the fact that he was the shooter and he was involved in this. But apparently the district attorney's office, to their credit, wasn't able to or willing to offer the guy a deal which would inspire him to take it. So they're, they're having the trial. But it's going to be on court TV, and I can guarantee you This is not going to be a Chamber of Commerce moment for the city. But that's okay. That's okay. It shows what is going on in the mean streets of Milwaukee, and that is that when you get behind the wheel of a car, you take your life into your own hands. All right.
Let us discuss. I told this story quickly before we get to the coronavirus and the stock market meltdown and the Bernie Sanders explosion and all sorts of other stuff. I I want to just kind of ease us into this work week. So this is what happens yesterday. As I said earlier, I'm um, we, we took. Fran's grandkids to the Lion King yesterday afternoon. I had never seen the Lion King. I think I'm perhaps the only person in the world that has never seen Disney's The Lion King, never seen the play, never seen the movie. So we, we took them to the, the Marcus Theater. It's very, very well done. So in anticipation of driving downtown, I, I needed gas. So I ran out by myself Sunday morning, it's about 9.30, go to one of the gas stations in the area where I live. You pull in, and the way this thing is situated is they have three separate pumps. So you can have a a total of like six cars filling up at the same time. I pull in on the, to my, it would be to the right side of the pumps. I pull to the the one furthest up. So I'm I'm outside the car, I'm filling the car up with gasoline, and I noticed a couple minutes earlier there was a, a woman who had a car that had kind of pulled in at the pump behind me. Really wasn't paying much attention. I'm kind of minding my own business trying to fill the car up with gas. Um, after a couple minutes, right as I'm kind of winding down, um, the woman who is from the car behind me comes up to me. And I'd say she's, I'm bad with this, 20s or 30s. And she says, excuse me. And then she says, I'm from Hayward, Wisconsin. I always love the details. I'm from Hayward, Wisconsin. I was working in Chicago last night. My purse was stolen, and and I just I stopped her at that point because obviously she was soliciting money, and I had made the decision I wasn't going to give her any. So I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And she said, okay, and she, she walked away. So I've been telling people this story because on the one hand, if I guess – she was really from Hayward, Wisconsin. She had really been working in Chicago last night. She had really had her purse stolen, and she had, you know, very, very little money. All right, being a good Samaritan, you know, w- would I have helped her? Yes. My problem is, and, and maybe it's just because I'm so cynical, I just, when I get solicited under circumstances like this, I, I just, I never believe that they're telling the truth. I just flat out never believe they're telling the truth. And I'm not going to give this woman 10 or $20 that she can go spend on booze or heroin or whatever. I'm just not going to do it. So my default position in situations like this is, no, sorry, can't help you. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What would you have done? Would, would you, now, again, I, it's, it's Sunday morning. I've got places to go. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm also not going to conduct this lengthy investigation to determine whether I'm going to give this gal $5 or $10 or $20. I've just decided I, I'm not going to do it. I mean, there's all sorts of churches in the area that you could go to, but I'm just not going to give a stranger 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 bucks at a gas station. Would you have handled this differently? Would you have given her money? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. Gru is lining up the calls. I didn't. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 855-616-1620. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Texter says, Jeff, you could have checked her gas gauge. Plus, $5 is not going to break her. Donate $20 to your favorite charity now. Okay, I, well, yeah, I could have checked the woman's gas gauge, but, I, okay, it's a Sunday morning. I'm not going to play private investigator. Either I believe the person or or I don't. And, yes, $5, $10, $20 isn't going to break me. But at the same time, 
Um, I, I don't believe in reinforcing bad behavior, and I don't believe, as I've argued repeatedly, I don't believe in giving money to people who panhandle. I mean, I have no problem donate money to soup kitchens, donate money to, you know, um, homeless shelters. That That's how you do it. But when you just give money to somebody who's standing there with the sign saying homeless need money or, hey, I was I live in Hayward and I was working in Chicago and I lost my purse and I need a bunch of money. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I just just because it doesn't break me doesn't mean that I, I should be played as a chump. Denise, Denise, you're first on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Denise. I'm, my, the exact same thing happened to my husband last week here in Wales. Same woman. I'm from Hayward. I lost my wallet. Really? To, he was, yeah. Really? He so was that's a story from he, Hayward? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, he, he came, it was around noontime. Um, he came home for lunch. Said I, I was just at Quick Trip. You're not going to believe this woman. Told me she's from Hayward. She doesn't have any money. She lost her purse, and he did the same thing you did. He didn't believe her. He said, "I'm really sorry, but I can't help you out." And he left. So apparently, she's going around the whole area doing that. Okay. Well, see now, Denise, I am so glad that you called because now, now there is no doubt in my mind that I did the right thing. That it was a scam because I with, mm-hmm. with the scammers, it's always the details. That's what you hear the story, like Hayward, Wisconsin. Okay, so that's and you think, oh God, Hayward, that's that's in the middle of you know that, that's that's way up north and stuff. So all right, the young sort of I'd say twenties, thirty something blonde. So yeah. that's the scam. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that, that, in fact, I asked him, I said, what did she look like? You know, and, and he, that's how he described her. But he said he didn't believe her in either. Right. And so anybody who gets approached by this woman, it's... Either that or she's trying that. to get back to Hayward, you know. But, but no, she... Uh, her, yeah. Right. I, I don't think she's she still right. here from a week ago. No, right. No, thanks for... No, and her story to me was... Thanks for calling. Her, her story to me was that I, I was working in Chicago last night and my purse was... Was stolen, so so give me money. But see, that's the thing. You just, I mean, it just screams scam. And yeah, people are texting. Well, you could have checked this out, or you could have asked her a bunch of questions. I, I I'm sorry, I, I don't want to get into a dialogue with this person. All right, it's just it screams scam to me. And apparently, in this case, that that's it. Heather in Hales Corners. Heather, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Hi, Heather. Um, so apparently, this is a thing because um, two months ago, my son and I were at Walmart. I sat on pool at the time, and our groceries into my car, and this man approached us, same kind of deal, same kind of story. I'm from Podunk, northern Wisconsin. Somebody stole my wallet. Do you have money, or would you mind taking me to the gas station so I could get money from, you know, you can just get money from me from the ATM or whatever? And I was like, first of all, <laughs> I have my son with me. Right. Second of all, I'm not driving you to an ATM, to an ATM, right? I think I am, dude. So then I, um, I waited for him to go away. I got my car locked. I just turned to walk away, and then to the store, and I reported him to security. And I said, "You got some weird dude out there, like walking up to women and asking." them to lead with him. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might want. Thanks yeah. to call Heather. I'm sorry, your cell phone's kind of cutting in and out. But, but no, I mean, apparently, you know, this is the type. Now, you know, if, if you if you went to school down around Marquette, there there are a couple people who are legendary for again the, these lengthy, complicated stories, all trying to beg money. Ed in Milwaukee. Ed, you're on WTMJ. Right. Hi. See, um, I've had the same similar thing happened to me. This must be a standard uh, uh, approach. 
but at a gas station, a um, woman came up to me. I did an interview down here. And I'm here with my daughter, and I lost my wallet or purse. And I've got to go up to northern Wisconsin. Could you uh, give me $20 for gas? And I said, well, you know, I'm sorry for that, but I'll tell you what. I'll go in and have them put $20 on the pump for you. <laughs> oh, right. no, no, no. I'll take care of it. Yeah. I said, well, no, I'm not doing that. And so she went to somebody else. They gave her 20 bucks, and she got in her car and drove away. Yep. And, about, and I'm on the east side now, and about, oh, 30 minutes ago, I got um, scammed by somebody. Oh, I need you know, some money to do that. I just waved her. I said, yep. don't even bother. Right, same thing as me. I, after, I'm, I'm, I'm from Hayward, Wisconsin. I lost my purse last night, and, and I just said, sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> it's just like well, I just, the one thing I One thing I was told, and you can verify this, I might, if I'm right or wrong, one, at a gas station like that, it is um, illegal to uh, panhandle, and two, it is illegal for you to give it to them. I I you don't can verify. Yeah, I, I thanks for I don't. I. Yeah, I don't. I, I have no idea one way or the other. <laughs> That's I I you know I, I I am a lawyer, but you know some, sometimes don't don't know one way or the other. But I wasn't going to give her any money anyways. But this is all like reinforcing this decision because clearly it is a scam. Jeff, here's a text. There's a gentleman that drives a dark blue Ford Windstar that hangs out in front of the McDonald's in Germantown on Highway Q. He claims he's from Hayward, and I've seen him panhandle in front of the McDonald's multiple times. So. So that must be the kind of scam that's rolling around here. I'm from Hayward, Wisconsin, and fill in the blank. I lost my purse. Um, uh, my purse was stolen. My wallet's been stolen. I need money. Let's talk to Russ on the east side. Russ, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, it's good your instincts were absolutely correct, Jeff. You know, if you do this um, every day or every other day, a couple hundred dollars a day, you could probably get from this. So it's a very lucrative part-time job, and it is a real phenomenon. It happens all the time. Well, it sure seems like that, and I mean, I think a lot of people do that. And again, you're you 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 want to believe, you know, in the better angels of our nature. You want to help people, and yes, five or ten bucks doesn't really mean that much to me. But at the same time, I'm just I, I'm not going to be played by a chump like a chump. I I just I refuse to do that. Yeah, I kind of laugh when I'm at a gas station pumping gas into my 1999 Toyota Camry that some person will pull up in a really nice new car. And ask me, hey, can you put some gas in my car, too? <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> it's the same type of thing. Well, I think it's just one of those things where it's become kind of acceptable in a lot of circles and kind of mainstream almost right. you know, to do this little light, uh, amicable begging yeah, type right. thing well, that these people are engaged in. Well, and obviously it works. I mean, thanks, I mean, I have a text. Jeff, I would have given... I would have given her or paid $5 in the tank. It's a karma thing to me. Well, look, I, I'm a big believer in, in karma, and I, I think, you know, the good you do comes around. But at the same time, just because you believe in karma doesn't believe you, you should be an idiot. <laughs> and, and, and candidly, that's, um, you know, that's the, you know, that's the whole bottom line of this. You know, just giving people, here, I, I'm a duck, come here and pluck me. To me, the question isn't, could you afford $10? It's just, all right, th- this person is scamming me. I'm not going to give him the dough. Um, here's a note from uh, Mike. Jeff, I enjoy the program. Thank you, sir. This woman from Hayward, she must have moved because a woman used the same scam on me in downtown Milwaukee over a decade ago. But that that time, the woman lived in um, 
the woman lived in Madison. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, and, and that's that is one of the details with the scammers. You've you've got the details, and, and this this gal had it even in our thirty second interaction. It was well, I was in Chicago. I was working last night in Chicago. My purse was stolen. I'm from Hayward, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And now I'm, you know, I'm I'm in Ozaki County. You know, I I need help. And eh, sorry, I sorry. In any event, I didn't give. If you think that makes me a terrible person, I can live with it. But I, I just refuse to be played by a f- like a fool. And maybe the lesson of this segment is if you are out at a gas pump anywhere, anytime soon, and somebody comes up to you and starts the conversation with, I'm from Hayward, that is probably, that must be the scam line that's going around. And when you hear that, you know that, well, you can give them the money if you want, but it's not going to get the person back to Haywood. All Hayward, all it's doing is letting the person take some money to go buy some beer or go buy some dope and move to the next gas station to scam somebody else. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. have not been paying attention to what's going on in the stock market this morning. It is an absolute bloodbath uh, across the globe. Dow Jones Industrials down 953 points. That's a drop of 3.29%. The Nasdaq down 342, which percentage-wise is great. That's 3.63%. The, the, the reason why this is going on, the why the European markets are tanking as well, is the fact that this coronavirus has, in fact, been spreading. Um, South Korea, let's see, South Korea announcing that they had um, 763 reported cases. February 14th, so less than two weeks ago, they had 28. Now they have 763 with 161 more people infected within the last 24 hours. So they're concerned that that this is going to start spreading. In addition, you have Italy, which has released reports that uh, the number of people um, coming down with this has increased over the weekend. Um, This, now you start to see the coronavirus spreading outside of Chicago. You've also had reports that it is in Iran. You have the number of Americans infected by coronavirus raising to 34. Um, all in all, they indicate that uh, the number of coronavirus cases topped 76,000 in 26 countries. There have been more than 2,200 deaths. Now, again, it's when, when it comes to deaths, you, you have to you have to kind of put an asterisk on it because typically it's like when they report flu deaths in the United States. You know, people who die from the flu, it's normally because they have some underlying health issue and you get pneumonia from the flu or something like that. And and, and yes, it, it's the flu that causes the death. But if the if an average healthy person contracts this, they're going to be sick for a little bit, but then they're going to get over it. But this is a huge, huge concern because it appears to be spreading outside of China. So number one, so why is this impacting the global stock market? Number one it's impacting it because you have a number of businesses, the travel industry, for example, you know, that are being the airline industry that, that are being significantly hamstrung because the concern is, hey, maybe people are going to stop flying. 
maybe people are going to stop traveling internationally because they don't want to end up picking this up. In addition, keep in mind that China, where this all started, is a major importer and exporter of goods. There's a big story in the Wall Street Journal this morning. A lot of American companies depend on Chinese goods that go into the products that, that they make, whether it's, I don't know, a TV set or whether it's, it's a car or whatever, whatever. What happens is a lot of the parts come over from China and then they're integrated into what's being manufactured in America. Or alternatively, you have American companies that make parts that they send over to China. Well, what's going on in China is as an, in an effort to try to slow down the spread of this virus, what happens is you have, I mean, you have areas of that country that are just completely shut down. You have factory workers that are told, okay, don't come to work because we don't want you to take you a risk that you're going to get infected and you're going to spread it somewhere else. So what's starting to happen is you have companies in the United States who depend on foreign parts to be imported to, again, go into the things that they're manufacturing, and there's now starting to be a shortage of those foreign parts. And similarly, if you make stuff that's then sent over and manufactured in China, but the China factories aren't operating, well, at least in the short term, there's no real demand, and so what has to happen is, all right, oh, we, 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 you know, China doesn't want this stuff anymore because at least temporarily they, they don't need all the parts that we're making because they're not making the stuff that the parts that we make are integrated into. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is the first day. Now, when the original coronavirus fears came out, I mean, it was it was bad on the stock market for a day or two. This is the first day that you've really seen a, a massive hit to the stock market. And, of course, you know, you've also got the various health concerns that are out there. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. On a scale, I want to take your temperature, no pun intended, on a scale of Zero to ten with being zero. Zero is that this is absolutely no big deal. Why are we even talking about it? With ten being the sky is falling, this is going to be the start of a huge global recession. We're going to see, you know, a, a modern version of the plague. People are going to be dying. This is going to spread worldwide. It is going to be devastating to the population, and it's going to destroy the economies of a number of countries. Okay, on that scale of zero to ten, where are you? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm still about a two. I'm still about a two. But I acknowledge that, you know, about three weeks ago, I was probably a maybe a one. Now I'm probably a two. Where are you? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss why or why not you are concerned. In just a moment, Gru is lining up the calls. 855-616-1620. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. If you want to understand why people are particularly concerned about this, in general, the, the vast majority of these coronavirus cases, certainly not all, but the vast majority so far have been confined to the, the Asia continent, South Korea, China, Iran. 
Well, Italy is now having Europe's first major outbreak. Uh, the number of infected cases jumped to 152, but that was it was just three 10 days ago. So now there's the concern it's in Italy. And, of course, you know, in Europe, you've got open borders. I, I mean, you know, if it goes to Europe, it, it spreads pretty much all over Europe. No fatalities yet in the United States. But uh, the stock market, extremely concerned for the reasons that I talked about. Let's start with Diane. Diane, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Diane. Long-time listener. Well, how concerned, thank- first of all, thank you for listening. Secondly, how concerned are you about this? Um, I guess rationally, um, a little bit, um, not overly. Um, it is still the flu, and normally, like you said, there's usually underlying reasons. There's something going on. Right, for somebody who dies so, from it, yeah. Correct, correct. But um, from what I'm being told by a relative is that they're currently in South Korea working and that um, this company that they're working for, which is a U.S.-based company, will be flying them home in the next day or so. Yeah, yeah, because they just don't want to expose their, they don't want to expose their employees to the potential risk, huh? C- correct, yeah. correct. No, and I think that's, I mean, that, thanks a lot for the call, Diana. That's, that's, and that that's the thing that's, that's impacting the stock market today. It's it's how businesses are going to react to this and what are businesses going to do. And again, to, to try to explain it in the most simple fashion possible, you know, if you if you work for a company in the United States that puts something together, an end product, and you depend on goods parts coming in from China that are made there. Well, is it possible that you can find alternative sources? Well, yeah, at some point in time, but certainly not in the short run. But what happens is, all right, what happens when the Chinese factories shut down because they're, they're, they're quarantining everybody and they're saying, okay, no public gatherings, stay home because we don't want to risk spreading this. So what happens when your backlog of parts from China that go into the widget that you're making, what happens when that runs out? Well, okay, you're, you're not going to be making stuff, um, either. It, it's a very, very real concern here. Um, let's see, Jeff. Also, this virus is now spreading to countries with poor healthcare systems in place. And with that, furthermore, spreads the virus beyond that nation's ability to treat and contain the outbreak. Then it'll become more likely to become a pandemic, um, which, I mean, I, I guess is, again, the concern. Now, you don't want to be too terribly alarmist because just like, like I mean, that's why I point to the example of the flu. You know, you the, the flu, most people, if you get the flu, it, it's you know, you're sick for a couple of days. You know, maybe you think you want to die, but you're not going to die um, unless you have some underlying health situation, which, you know, could then make it much, much worse. And I think the same thing is true as playing with this. But the last thing you want to see is that this spread to um, like the United States. And now that it's in Italy, you, you start to wonder, OK, you know, what's going to happen next with Europe? All right. We've got some numbers. My question was on a scale of like zero, which is zero. No big deal. Why are we talking about it to 10 being the sky is falling? Let's see. Um, six. Well, that's that's more than halfway there. That is a decent degree of concern. Two people texting me and saying, eh, zero, I, I just, I don't think so. Jeff, I'm personally starting to freak out because my daughter, a senior in high school, has a school trip to Italy in March. They've been planning it for two years. It's all paid for. See, and that that ties in, again, with what's going on in the stock market because you, you have – 
agencies all right look at some look at all the businesses that rely in large part on on travel particularly global travel you've got the hotel industry you've got the you know the the travel agent industry you know the fox will travel people of the world you've got the airline industry you know you've got all the businesses that depend on tourism well you know here's a situation where you have somebody who all right my my daughter's planning to go to italy last thing i want is my you know daughter on a senior field trip from high school to go over to Italy and be exposed to this if it gets out of control. It's one thing, I mean, I understand you've only got 152 cases in a nation of tens of millions of people, but the scary thing is, you know, two weeks ago, they had 10 reported cases. So, yeah, 10 reported cases, now two weeks later, it's 152 reported cases if it continues to grow exponentially. And I'm not being chicken little, screaming, oh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, but if that's the case, um, you know, it, it, it's a concern. Jeff, I'm at a four, and I'm so thankful that we did not plan a trip to Europe for this summer. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm going to Europe. We have a sold-out listener trip. We're going to France in, in September. I'm not worried about that. I have a, I'm comfortable that this thing is going to be under control. But I, I will say, you know, if certainly I had a trip to Asia now, particularly a pleasure trip to Asia, well, I'd, I'd be thinking long and hard about whether I wanted to go. Let's talk to James downtown. James, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how you doing? Real well, thank you, sir. I, how are uh, I think that this is an eight. And the reason I say that is because China makes a lot of products, standalone products, but China makes a lot of components for other products that are made. Um, the port's there are now on lockdown. There's nothing in or out. Their uh, cities, most of them are on lockdown. No right. one's coming out of their homes to make anything. Right. And when you look at things like drugs that are essential to people, I mean, you know, we might be looking at uh, a point where a lot of people that have mental issues that aren't getting their drugs is going to be a real problem here. And look at all of the things that happen with retail. I mean, if you don't yeah. have anything to sell, like in a Walmart or a Target or places like that, those places are going to close down. Right. No, you well, exactly right. Or and, and you know, th- there's always alternatives. You know, you can maybe find other suppliers that aren't in China, but that that's not something you do overnight. And there's going to be costs associated with it. It. No, you're you're. I mean, thanks. You're you're exactly right. And that's. The longer this goes on, the worse it becomes. Plus, you know, you, you look at, at how this is starting to spread. Now, having said that, I, I'm the guy, I am not an alarmist. I'm always the guy on the radio that says, first of all, you know, when it comes to individual investments, I, I think you, you can't, and, and all the financial people say this, and I think they're correct, you, you have to look at, you know, what, what's the overall thing going on in the market. You can't necessarily allow yourself to be driven by a concern over what's happening on any given day, because two days from now, somebody can come out and they can announce, oh, we've got this vaccine that, that prevents, you know, the, the contravirus, the, the coronavirus. Okay, so you, you find that. So, you, you know, you have to kind of look at market fundamentals and try to avoid the, you know, up and down and the din of a particular day. But this, I think, is the first time since this news broke in December that I think we've, we've really seen some global concern um, that this might have a long-term effect on businesses and on the markets. Hope that that's not the case and hope that uh, China can figure out a way to get this handled. The other thing is moving forward. 
they really got to figure out, you know, how, how do you stop these things? And some of the stories that I'm reading suggest that if, if they believe that this started with like animals, that, you know, maybe if, if you restrict, you know, some of the trade in animals, particularly in Asia, you make this a little bit less likely. But I'm not a scientist and I don't play one on the radio. All I know is if you're wondering why it's a bloodbath in the stock market today, the word is coronavirus. Hey, coming up in about 10 minutes, Bernie wants to take care of your kids. I will explain and we will discuss uh, the, the big news from the world of courtrooms this morning. Harvey Weinstein, um, after jury deliberated about a week, he was convicted on some counts. The big counts he was acquitted on, but as a practical matter, it doesn't matter. Harvey Weinstein, first of all, found guilty of what they call third-degree rape. This is in connection with a – he. they found he had sex with a, an aspiring actress against her will in 2013, but didn't use physical force or immediate harm required for first-degree rape. And then they found in connection with um, his interaction and sex he had with a woman in 2006, a production assistant on the show Project Greenlight, they found that that was um, essentially the first-degree sexual assault. The, the terms are different in Wisconsin than they are in New York. They found him not guilty of predatory sexual assault, which is, you know, multiple women. And, and the jury, I, the sense is that this was a compromise verdict. They had sent some questions out on Friday indicating that they had reached verdicts on some cases, but were, were hung. In other words, they couldn't agree unanimously. And juries have to be unanimous one way or the other. Um, my guess is some people thought about it over the weekend and then decided, okay, let's just have this compromise verdict. Bottom line, though, is from the perspective of the prosecutors, on one of the two charges, Harvey Weinstein is looking at 5 to 25 years in prison. And on the second account charge, he's looking at four years in prison. So he, he, he beats the, the bigger, more ser- most serious charges. Of course, uh, sexual assault in this case is a serious charge. And from the perspective of the prosecution, hey, you know, the judge has – he's 66 or 67 years old, 67 years old. Um, the, the judge has – plenty of years to work with. And my guess is that Harvey Weinstein, who was taken into custody right away, um, my guess is he's going to get a substantial, a substantial sentence. As I said earlier on, I wasn't making any predictions on this case because even though this guy is clearly a major league slime bag, no doubt about it, you know, in the case of, of both the women, he had ongoing relationships with them, both professional and I think personal, after, you know, the acts that were complained of. And and that, that doesn't make it right by any stretch of the imagination. It just makes it difficult to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. But the jury, in what I, strikes me as a compromise verdict, was convinced that, um, well, Weinstein did, at least in certain cases, what he was accused of. I have no problem with that verdict at all. And candidly, if Harvey Weinstein spends the rest of his days behind bars, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. Okay, when we come back, Bernie wants your kids. I will explain. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We can't afford it. Or can we? Now, Bernie Sanders 
who is emerging as the the leading candidate for the Democrat nomination. Now, look, I, I understand we've only had two caucuses, two primaries, but Bernie Sanders is leading in delegates. I am not convinced that Democratic voters are going to really march off the cliff and nominate a socialist. I, I think that will that will pretty much guarantee an electoral bloodbath um, on down-ballot races and probably is going to guarantee that Donald Trump wins again because I think there's just a lot of people who might be looking for alternatives to President Trump but aren't going to go with Bernie Sanders. But could be wrong. On the other hand, the argument is, hey, maybe Bernie Sanders is is the the anti-Trump. He's you know Trump just you know went after the swamp and Trump did it in 2016. Sanders is just the other side of that coin. Not sure that I buy that. But as the campaign wears on, Bernie Sanders is talking more and more about how he wants to remake. America. Now, we already know he, he wants Medicare for all, wants to do away with insurance companies. Private insurance industry is going to disappear. Your ability to choose your own doctors, that's going to be gone. Um, it, it's going to be Medicare for all. If it's good enough for people who are 67 years old, it's good enough for people who are 47 years old, and uh, you're not going to have much choice in that. The price tag, absolutely astronomical. Bernie doesn't want to have to talk about that. So you've got you know that position that's out there. You have a number of other positions that, again, remember Bernie is the guy that wants to eliminate student loan debt. Just wipe it away. Wipe it away. So Medicare for all, trillions of dollars. Eliminating student loan debt, trillions of dollars. Well, last night on television, Bernie Sanders added another plan of his that would cost 1.5 T as in trillion dollars. And by the way, where is this money going to come from? It's going to come from economic redistribution. Bernie thinks too many people in this world have too, in this country have too much money. And so what he wants to do is he wants to take it from the haves and he wants to give it to the, the have nots. And so, again, it's a wealth tax. The issue is, if you look at how much money he wants to spend, you you can't just get the money from going after the small number of B as in billionaires we have and trying to tax them out of existence. But he wants to take $1.5 trillion, and he wants to replace the child care system in this country. Bernie's plan would offer free full-day child care for every child from birth through age three for up to 10 hours a day and free pre-kindergarten education for every child in the country starting at age five. So the idea is, you know, you don't have to worry anymore about taking care of your kids or arranging for, for child care. And it doesn't matter what your income is. The way this would work is that um, you'd have the federal government, which would fund this. It would then be administered by the, the states. Ten hours of daily child care for infants and children up to three, regardless of income. Um, the government would set minimum worker wages and mandate low child-to-adult ratios and small group sizes for services, and then uh, full-day, full-week programs for children starting at age three for the pre-kindergarten programs. All right, let us open up the phone lines. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we understand that, that there's really, despite the fact that the headlines say this would be free, 
Well, there's no such thing as free child care and free early education for all. What this means is that people would have to pay for this, just like they'd have to pay for Medicare for all, just like they'd have to pay for eliminating student loans. In this case, the price tag, 1.5 T as in trillion dollars. I understand that this, this sounds wonderful. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to worry about taking care of your own kids? Wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to worry about daycare? Wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to worry about, gee, I, I've got six kids. You know, how, how am I going to, you know, pay for these kids? And you could just like say, here, we're, we're going to just, we're going to have the government that's going to take care of them. Free child care. All right. But it's not free. It has to be paid for. Number one, I don't think we can afford it. Number two, I don't think there's people out there who can pay for it. And number three, as a policy matter, right, when did it become the government's responsibility to take care of your children literally from cradle through their adult life and then to the grave? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this a winner issue? I mean, are we really at a point where we want the government to now come in and provide child care for everybody's children regardless of income 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line sounds good i mean i understand gee a chicken in every pot who could object to that and my guess is if you're one of these people who's scrambling for daycare or something you'd love to have the federal government take that problem off your hands but does that mean it's the right thing to do is this now the latest entitlement don't worry about taking care of your kids. We'll do it for you. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sorry, I'm not feeling the burn. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Crew is lining up the calls as we speak. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So, Jeff, here's a text. Instead of staying home with my kids, I'm going to send them to daycare so I can work, but then get taxed over half of my paycheck to pay for somebody else's entitlement? No thanks. And by the way, who are these daycare workers going to be? Not qualified adults, I guess, that I want working with my kids. Well, there is a point there. Jeff, not only should people be responsible for their own offspring, what would this do to the quality of child care? Would it end up like public schools with parents begging for vouchers to get into better programs? Would you have a choice who cares for your child, or would it be mandated by where you live, um, you know, mandated by where you live. Jeff, Bernie has a great sales pitch, but he won't back it up with his plan to tax and gouge the middle class on up. And poor people, um, well, you know, they, they might like things for free. Well, okay, I mean, everybody likes things for free. Jeff, I wish just once someone would ask when Bernie or any other Democrat promises something, quote, unquote, for free, somebody would ask, where are you going to find people willing to work for free? Because that's exactly what would eventually need to happen if they continue down this idiotic path. There is no free anything. Yes. Let's talk to Dan on the south side. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? I, I agree. I agree with you 100% on this. I got a couple of questions for you. But first, I didn't know about the child care. I only caught part of that. He's not the only one. Warren and Harris both wanted it. Did you know that? Yeah, this, but that. he's the one that's really come out big yesterday for this. But, yeah, child care for everybody. And, all right, the two questions. One is you, here. All right, let's say he does get president elected, okay? 
And maybe he holds the Congress or maybe he holds both. Maybe he doesn't. How many people do you think is actually going to vote for this stuff to happen? I mean, aren't there some right right people that are not going to say, no, we're not going to go for that? What do you think of that? Okay, but but you, okay, your, your question presumes that he's gotten elected president already. If he's gotten elected president already, that tells me that that's where this country is. Now, I don't happen to believe that, Dan, but, you know, who knows? Now, thanks for calling. I, 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 look, and and – I'm just one of the things that's been so interesting is Bernie Sanders has pretty much gotten a pass at, at this point in time. Nobody, nobody on the left and nobody on the right has really started to explore this guy's record. I mean, one of the things that came out yesterday, he's talking about how great it is in Cuba. All right. You know, anybody, anybody want to see Cuba lately? This, this is what his ideal is. I mean, give me a break. Bernie Sanders has a, a history of kook positions. And if you're a regular listener to this program, you, you probably know I, I'm, I sort of run hot and cold on President Trump. There's things he does I like. There's things he does that drive me crazy. I have to tell you something. If the choice is really Donald Trump versus Bernie Sanders, it's not a choice to me. And and once you start exploring the things that Sanders is talking about and how it would fundamentally remake this country into – well, communist Russia, which is not something that I think any of us really want to see. I mean, that choice becomes clear. But it's this idea of, well, this is going to be free or that's going to be free or this is going to be free. I mean, there is no such thing as as free. And, you know, you, you I, it's just so funny because Elizabeth Warren does the same thing. Well, we're going after the millionaires and the billionaires. So let's play this class warfare card. Well, OK, if you start, OK, one point five trillion here, 10 trillion here. Pretty soon, you know, you you've redistributed millionaires and billionaires out of existence. Um, Jeff, is Bernie going to cut me a check for my four years of schooling and the twenty thousand dollars I spent on daycare over 10 years? I work two jobs to pay for myself. Um, yes. No, that's that's the question. Just like the student loan thing. All right. For all those of you who paid your student loans diligently, sucker. I mean, that that's really how it's, it's viewed. Let's talk to Lou in Portage. Lou, you're on WTMJ. Oh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Lou. filling up many, many days of uh, boring drives. So <laughs> well, well, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. All right, I don't call in much, and I try to not get involved and see the pot on Facebook and social media, and, but you seem like a guy that knows. So what is, I guess, the moral objective here to spend that money for what people, people that don't have jobs now, um, to get them out in the workforce and help the unemployment rate and help our economy. No, I think the object the objective is to to equalize the playing field because people who are wealthier have you know they they can pay for their own child care have an advantage over people who are not as wealthy who have to struggle with child care so the i think the the goal is let's level the playing field and let's stop giving middle class people or upper class people who can pay for daycare an advantage over people who have to stay home and take care of their kids cuz they can't afford it well, well, that kind of sounds just kind of very foolish when you put it like that, and everyone would be having kids. I don't have kids. So. Well, 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 yes, every right. There's no distant right. You know, you 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 worried about well, gee, you know, we we'd like to have 
we, we, we maybe think of having five kids, but we can only afford two kids because who's going to take care of them? No, you, you go have your five kids. There's no problem with that because yeah, everybody's going to be in daycare. Be, be like my parents. You mix Kool-Aid, you make lemonade made fresh on the back porch. Um, there was no cell phones. You know, going to McDonald's once in a while with my mom, uh, one-on-one, because we had six kids. Um, and she stayed at home. We, you got by. You just you get used to... Well, you, right, and, and you and you and you dealt with it. No, I mean, thanks to call Lou, and thanks for listening on your drives. I, look, and, and you you figured out a way to do it. Look, I understand why this has appeal, an appeal. Something for nothing has an appeal. But th- these are all these questions that, that nobody asks. Oh, and and is okay. Where where are the workers going to come from? I mean, we we are talking about a massive, massive program. Because, I mean, I don't know how many people are in daycare now, but 10 hours a day for infants. I mean, from the time you're born until you're three, we're talking about 10 hours a day with adults. Tell me where the qualified people that are going to take care of your kids are going to come from. I mean, that's just one of the practical problems, much less where you get the money. And, you know, and and we've talked about this before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. This idea of these wealth taxes they flat don't work. They've tried them in other countries. They don't work because what happens is the people who have wealth, they have alternatives. They have options. And if you start imposing these really, really onerous taxes, what do they do? They move the money. Yeah, that's just the, the reality, this idea that we're going to collect all this. No, as a matter of fact, if you look at some of the states that have actually tried to impose the, the super taxes on, quote, unquote, the wealthy, and it's interesting because you know, typically wealthy becomes somebody that makes $10 more than you. That person's wealthy. You're not. But when they try it, it doesn't work because people leave. The people who have that ability to spend the money, they, they leave. And then, of course, you know, what's – I guess because, you know, I, I'm fortunate in my life to know some people who are wealthy, and, and I, I look at their generosity, and I look at how much they give to charity and what they do for the communities and things like that, and I'm thinking these are not these these evil, rich type of people. Now, if you wanted to be Bernie Sanders and you wanted to talk about, hey, you know, we have to figure out a way to make child care more affordable. You know, we want to try to figure out a way to make it more accessible, and maybe we can figure out tax rebates or something like that. I think that is a legitimate conversation to have, just like if we want to have the conversation, do we we need to figure out ways to make college more affordable and, and how can we approach that and if we have that conversation i've got seven or eight ideas but that's not the bernie sanders approach the bernie sanders approach is i want it to be free i don't want anybody to have to pay for it and i want to wave a magic wand i want to collect 1.5 trillion dollars and i want to take that money and I want to use it to say, you know, you don't have to worry about taking care of your own kids. Ten hours a day, the government will take care of that. Now, that might work in Vladimir Putin's Russia. I don't think it's something that America is ready for, but I could be wrong. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Free stuff. Who cannot like that? You know, interestingly enough, even though there's all this buzz about Bernie Sanders, and now you have a lot of a lot of Democrats who are scared as, as heck because they're looking and they're saying, this is 
if Bernie Sanders is really our nominee, this is it's going to be an electoral nightmare because even though he, he's got the, these rabid followers, it's really only about 30% of the Democrat Party, maybe not even that. And that, you know, a lot of serious Democrats aren't ready to blow up this country. And, of course, you've got you've got Bernie Sanders and the people. It's, it's almost like a cult. People say that, you know, followers of Donald Trump are a cult. I don't know about that. But the Sanders people, they, by and large, are a flat-out cult. And it's just like, okay, we're going to change this country. And I just don't think people are ready for that. Interestingly enough, CBS News came out with a poll. Now, there's a lot of polls that you see. And, again, take polls with a grain of salt. And you see the head-to-head matchups between President Trump and some of the other candidates and things like that. This was interesting. Nearly two-thirds of voters in this CBS poll that they released yesterday said they think President Trump is going to be re-elected. Nearly two-thirds. 31% of registered voters said the president will definitely win a second term. 34% said he probably will win a second term, um, meaning 65% expect him to be re-elected. Um, kind of interesting, because when you do the head-to-head stuff, it turns out to be a coin toss. But again, when you ask that fundamental question, most people think it's going to be another four-year term. History would certainly seem to support that. And I'm here to tell you, as somebody who remembers when Richard Nixon, with the economy in a complete mess, the Vietnam War raging, when Richard Nixon ran for re-election in 1972, pre-Watergate, against George McGovern, who was a Bernie Sanders kind of way, way, way out lefty, you know, Richard Nixon won, what, like 48 states, a landslide. For everybody who has issues with Donald Trump, I continue to believe if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, if that happens, you're looking at 1972 all over again. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Before I forget, last Friday evening, um, there was a, an event out in Sussex at one of the golf courses. It was just a fish fry. And actually, my step-granddaughter was one of the people who was responsible for running it there. I've been telling you about this for several weeks now. It's part of this ongoing uh, campaign that students from all over the area have to raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And uh, Gracie and her friend Lauren, they, they did this fish fry. And we, we talked about it a little bit on the radio and had just an absolutely huge turnout. And a number of listeners came out. And I want to say a very special thank you to that, uh, including some that I didn't get to meet because the event was like from 4 till 9. I got there around 6. And so I know there were a couple people, including some folks from Thienesville, who they spent a bunch of time with my wife and then had to leave beforehand. But if you get to spend time with Fran, you're, you're getting the better part of the Wagner family. There, there's no right, right rule. That's the, yeah, you're nodding your head. Yeah, that's the, that she's the more interesting one. So I, I appreciate everybody coming out for that and uh, uh, raising a bunch of money for a good cause. More things like that, um, you know, going on. So I'm, I'm, uh, you know, pleased with that. Okay. In the state of Wisconsin, it is a state law that you cannot use red light cameras. What is a red light camera? Red light camera is one of those things that they put on the the poles at intersections that record people who go through red lights or go through the lights at an excessive rate of speed. It generates um, an image of the people's license plate, and then what happens is a ticket is generated. It is illegal to use red light cameras in Wisconsin. All right? The legislature has been sitting on 
various red light camera proposals. Interestingly enough, David Crowley, who is one of the two people running for Milwaukee County Executive, he's been, he's a Democrat state representative, he's been leading the charge for this in Milwaukee. And last week, Tom Barrett came out in favor of these, Barrett recognizing that you have an enormous problem in Milwaukee with reckless driving, with people running red lights. Um, I think Barrett, as do I, recognizes that red light cameras aren't the ultimate magic bullet. But still, it's something that would help. So here's what they've been pushing for in the city of Milwaukee. Five-year pilot program for red light cameras. The conditions would be that the cameras would photograph violators of speed limits and red light running. They would be positioned to photograph the rear license plates of the car. Speed violators would have to travel more than 20 miles an hour above the limit to elicit a ticket. 20 miles an hour. No more than five intersections within an aldermanic district could have red light cameras. Total of 75 throughout the city. Tickets would be mailed to the vehicle owner's last known address no more than five business days after the offense. Tom Barrett pointing out that non-fatal traffic crashes are up dramatically, say, from 2008 to 2018. He says, look, I, I just think, you know, this is you want to look at one of the big public safety issues in the city of Milwaukee, and, and it's it's people driving in a reckless, irresponsible fashion. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm all in favor of this. I do not understand why we do not allow red light cameras, not just in Milwaukee, but in any other community that would want them. Do Is this going to guarantee you that people aren't going to run red lights? No. Is it going to guarantee you that people aren't going to go 20 miles an hour through, you know, going to drive recklessly through intersections? No, it's not going to guarantee it. But but it might, 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 might just help us identify the people who are doing it. And my guess is you're going to have a lot of repeat offenders. Now, here's what Barrett doesn't say. I think you, you it's not just enough to send tickets to people who blow through these red lights. It, it's when they don't pay the tickets after blowing through the red lights for multiple occasions or when the person, the car that's going through the intersection at 90 miles an hour, you know, gets the ticket because it was a 30-mile-an-hour zone and all the person who gets the ticket does is use that ticket to paper their bathroom. It's not enough to not go after them. So you, you have to couple the red light enforcement uh, cameras with aggressive enforcement, including, hey, you do this things like we're going to take your car. Now, I understand down at City Hall, they're not willing to necessarily do that. But as a starting point, I have no problem with red light cameras. 855-616-1620. And you know what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it on a pilot program. I would say the state has no business in telling communities they can't do it. And if Milwaukee or Waukesha or Green Bay or Appleton or Eau Claire or La Crosse or Mauston or the People's Republic of Madison decide that they want to do this as a way of helping traffic enforcement, why should the state of Wisconsin be telling them no? Seems to me that nothing bad can come out of this. All right, let's uh, start with Linda. Linda, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. 
Um, I am all in favor of this. We have a huge speeding problem and reckless driving problem, and we have a problem with how to fund our road repairs. And to me, this is a no-brainer. You put up cameras. I think that a 20-mile-per-hour over the speed limit is too high. I mean, then people are going to drive 18 miles over the speed limit then. Right. And I think that, that is, that's too reckless. I mean, I try, to, I try to stay 7 to 10 miles per hour over the speed limit. And I think if people are going 15 over, then that's too high because people are just flying around yep. on highways, on streets. And why can this not help fund our road repair? Well, I mean, it, it seems to me there there's no downside to doing this. Here's somebody says, Jeff, tickets from traffic light cameras are unconstitutional. No, they're not. <laughs> Unless a picture no. of the driver's face is included, they have no evidence who violated the law, only the vehicle used. Okay, fine. You send a ticket to the registered owner. If the registered owner wants to come in and say um, it, uh, it wasn't Jeff driving, it was Linda driving, fine. Then we'll give the ticket to Linda. But otherwise, I have no problem. Let's figure out who's driving cars that are crazy. Like crazy. Well, and how do they incorporate the picture? Because I know my son was driving my mother-in-law's car once in Arizona, and he went through a school zone, you know, unknowingly, because right. he wasn't from that area, and we got a ticket in the mail, and it showed a picture of him driving. Right. So, you know, she knew that she wasn't driving her car. It was her grandson that was driving the car. Right. So... Will these cameras not have any pictures associated with them? Well, the the proposal that's stuck in the legislature now would film the back of it so you'd get the license plate. But, yeah, my understanding is the technology is such and is used in other states. You can also do it to see who the driver of the car is or at least get you an idea. I think that would be a plus. Yeah. I, I think getting a picture of the driver and a picture of the license plate would be a definite advantage. Um, no question. Thanks for the call. Well, and again, it's, is this the perfect thing to stop people from running red lights? Well, well no, I understand. People are still going to drive red lights. My guess, though, is, my guess is when you start to see the license plates that are coming in, my guess is that you're going to um, see a lot of the same cars doing that. Now, I understand everybody might decide I'm going to kind of sneak through on that yellow light. My guess is there's a lot of repeat offenders who do this because they just don't care. Let's talk to Mike. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons, you know, why you should not have red light cameras, but there's also a lot of good alternatives to having red light cameras. For example, you can increase the yellow light time, uh, a study by researchers at the Texas Transportation Institute illustrates the positive safety impact of even a modestly longer yellow light. You can add an all-red light clearance interval. You can make traffic lights more visible. Uh, you can make the, the lights uh, bigger. But tell me why uh, you don't think red light cameras are a good idea. Oh, there's so many reasons. Well, so why give me your best idea. one. Give me, give me your best argument against red light cameras. Well, usually when someone says you should have a red light cameras to improve safety, and here's the fact of the matter, taking a picture of a dangerous driver does not stop them. If you have somebody that's barreling through intersections, totally drunk driving, mm -hmm. running red light after red light, yeah, you can take a picture of them, but, you know, that's not going to do anything to stop them. You, you, you really have to follow need... up with enforcement is your point. You have to right. you have you to have do to something have a, a, you have to do something after you see that. You have to follow up. Something more than just sending a ticket that they're going to ignore. Right. And 
Okay. The fact is, even if it's not a drunk driver, these cameras aren't going to prevent accidents. I mean, this is something that a ticket shows up in the mail weeks or months later after the bad deeds have been already done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're just not going to pre- uh, prevent the accidents. If you really want to prevent accidents, you got to make sure that, you know, people aren't distracted driving. You got to make sure they can actually visibly see but, the light. But what know, about so the people not- driving in the city of Milwaukee who don't care? It's not that they don't know they're running red lights at 80 miles an hour. They don't care. I mean, you you can have all the different bells and whistles you want. Those That subset is still going to drive through the lights, aren't they? Yes, they will. Yeah. And so possibly the red light cameras aren't going to do anything uh, more or less to, to solve that problem. What it's going to do is it's going to inconvenience people and cause problems for other people that actually do care. Well, I guess I see that, that's where we, we disagree. Now, if you want to say, gee, we should do other things with that, that, you know, enhance the visibility to, uh, around, around stop signs or, or red lights or the, the camera. If you wanted to talk about other things, like we, we make the yellows brighter or whatever, I'm not against that. But, but again, I still don't see the downside to the red light cameras, especially given the fact if you couple it with enforcement. Now, if the premise is, we're we're going to see this car. It blows through the intersection at ninety miles an hour. We're going to send a ticket, and then that that's all. We're we're not going to do anything. Nothing beyond that. Well, I, I understand. Then okay, you're just issuing more tickets that people aren't going to pay. But if we do have meaningful follow up, okay, you know we're going to suspend licenses. You know you you get a ticket sent to you, and you just try to ignore it, and it's your car. Yeah, you know we're going to presume that you were driving. Now, if you want to come in and you want to argue that somebody else was driving. Fine. Tell us who that person is, and and then you know we'll go from there. But and then again, I'm one of these advocates of, of taking the cars. I mean, that's that's the big thing with me. I mean, it's if you're going to you know if we're going to have vivid enforcement of this, you you have to. All right, this is the third time that this particular car has shown up going through the red light. Let's. All right, this is the point. The person's done nothing to prove that they have a license, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Here, we're sending out the tow truck. We're going to hitch it up. We're going to take that car, and you're not getting the car back till you pay the tickets and prove that you have insurance and all those things. I, I guess bottom line of all this is, I'm just so darn sick, sick of, and maybe it's just because what I do for a living. On a daily basis, when I sit down and I spend the three or four hours that I spend trying to review for this show, every day I run across stories of people who were killed, maimed, or, you know, substantial property damage from people driving in an irresponsible fashion. And we're, we're not doing enough to get those bad drivers off the street. And, and it could happen to you. It could happen to me. It could happen to your family. It could happen to my family. We, what we're doing now doesn't work. So I'm pretty much at the category of I'm willing to try just about anything. The red light cameras, if you couple them with aggressive enforcement and you're willing to, you know, allow the city attorney's office and the district attorney's office to use the tools available to them, I, I guess I just don't see a downside of it. Is it a perfect solution? No. But what the heck? This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of the interesting things to me about watching the race for president is how 
And, and this happened in 2016 on the Republican side where you had the, kind of the emergence of Donald Trump. And, you know, he, he kind of picked off one or two candidates, you know, of, of what were they, like 15 people running against him. And he picked off one or two at a time and, and got momentum. And then the next thing you know, he becomes this, this sort of unstoppable force and he ends up winning. It, it's interesting to me because the, the same thing is kind of playing out on, on the Democrat side where you have – Bernie Sanders, and as we've talked about before, Bernie Sanders way, way, way to the left, who's, again, getting a plurality of votes in, there's only been four primary, two primaries, two caucuses, but, you know, he, he's got a, a modest lead on delegates, but the idea is the momentum is all behind the fuel of the burn. And, and so what's going on now is you have this sort of circular firing squad where at the debate last week, you had some of the people turning their attention on, on Mike Bloomberg without recognizing that, you know, Bernie Sanders is the guy who's starting to run away with it. But I, I love, I love some of the controversy. Now, Chris Matthews, who is the very, very liberal pundit who, you know, does, he does hardball on, on MSNBC. Chris Matthews, he's kind of all over the map. Chris Matthews was the guy you might remember who, who said he got a tingle down his leg during, you know, one of Hillary Clinton's speeches. That, that's Chris Matthews. Chris Matthews is, is under all sorts of attacks because of what he said about Bernie Sanders. Now, MSNBC, is not in the tank for Bernie Sanders. I, I think most of their commentators are probably more like Elizabeth Warren. As a matter of fact, the Bernie Sanders people have turned big time on MSNBC, said, hey, you're, you're biased against our candidate. Well, Sanders wins the Nevada caucuses, about 50-some percent of, of the vote. And Chris Matthews goes on the air, and this is what he said. And I, I'm going to read it exactly because I, I've read it several times. I'm not sure what the heck he really means. I don't know that he does, but that's not necessarily Chris Matthews, I think, often says things that you you can't decipher. But here's what he says. I was reading last night about the fall of France in the summer of 1940, Matthews said during MSNBC's live coverage of the caucuses on Saturday. And the French general, Renaud, calls up Churchill and says, it's over. And Churchill says, how can that be? You've got the greatest army in Europe. How can it be over? And Renaud said, it's over. Okay. Now, I really don't know what Matthews's point was. I mean, it's kind of bizarre and arcane as to, you know, what, what that has to do with Bernie Sanders winning the Nevada caucus. But, but the Sanders folks, immediately, they, they have now ta- attacked Chris Matthews, and they're demanding that he resign, saying Bernie Sanders is Jewish. He lost a number of family members in the Holocaust, and it is completely inappropriate for Chris Matthews to liken Bernie's win in Nevada tonight to the Germans overrunning France in 1940. Here's another one. Chris Matthews just compared Bernie Sanders, a Jewish man whose relatives were killed by the Nazis, to the Nazi army. He should be fired immediately. I, all right. I think again. I don't know what the heck Chris Matthews was trying to say, but that I, I frequently feel that way. I don't even know what the analogy was. But but this idea that okay was Chris Matthews trying to liken Bernie Sanders to Hitler. I, 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 don't, I don't see that, and I guess I see this as kind of this overreaction that's there, but it shows now, – now, of course, I'm the guy that says left, right, in between. 
references to Hitler, even obscure references to Hitler, references to the German army in World War II, probably because they are so subject to interpretation, and in most cases are just completely inappropriate. He's like Hitler. Well, okay, that that just that fails to take into consideration how bad Hitler was. You were talking about genocide. I, I doubt that Bern, I doubt that Matthews was really trying to do this. He would probably be wise to avoid World War II references, especially ones that are completely and totally nonsensical. But yeah, does that mean that he should be fired? I, I don't think so. But again, you're starting to see the circular firing squad on the left, where now you have the MSNBC commentators that are saying whatever they're saying, and you've got the Bernie Sanders people who are now demanding that they be fired. I, it, I tell you, it's going to be an interesting few months, and it's all going to culminate right here in Milwaukee in July with the Democratic National Convention, and we'll be there to cover it. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I think they are going to lose. I am referring to the Kettle Moraine High School. And the principal at Kettle Moraine High School is being sued in federal court by couple kids over a pair of t-shirts that they wore to school hear me out and let us discuss here's the deal the 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 school apparently does not have at least my understanding is they they don't have a, a dress code that limits and specifically talks about the type of things that you can and cannot wear to school um specifically there is no mention in the dress code that you cannot wear T-shirts that have firearms on them. Now, let's go back here. Everybody, I think, would agree that you shouldn't be bringing guns to school. Okay, Everybody would agree with that. Everybody would also, I think, agree that you shouldn't make threats at school or whether it's wearing T-shirts or carrying signs or do anything else that would be considered to be a threat. All right, can, can we agree with that? So here's the, the story. You have these two sophomores at Kettle Moraine School who show up with a, a pair of T-shirts. One T-shirt has the logo of Wisconsin Carry, Inc., which is the um, pro-Second Amendment, you know, pro-concealed carry, open carry, guns rights, rights group. It features a handgun in a holster behind a belt that carries the organization's name. So it's got like, um, you know, it, it's got, a, again, concealed carry, Wisconsin, and then it's got a handgun and a belt, okay? Then the second T-shirt features an outline of an AR-15 style rifle above the words Pew Professional. Uh, Pew refers to the sound of the gun being fired. So, I mean, it's it, it looks like it's kind of an advertisement for, uh, again, an, an agency or an institution or a business, etc. So these kids wear the T-shirts to school. The principal apparently um, comes in and says, nope, you, you cannot do this. You said these shirts violate the school's dress code and that you have to keep them covered with their jackets. She emails one of the boy's mothers to say no clothing with guns is allowed and he shouldn't wear any such clothing in the future. Second boy was called out of class to the principal's office over the Wisconsin carry shirt and was told that school policy bans any clothing that's threatening violent and illegal, such as drugs or alcohol. 
All right. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am told that at Kettle Moraine, there is nothing to stop students from wearing shirts that, for example, convey their support for political causes. So if you want to wear a T-shirt that trumpets, you know, um, you know, LGBT rights, you, you can do that. Um, if you want to wear a shirt that I, I think um, trumpets, you know, your support for a political candidate, you can do that. The idea is that these shirts are being singled out because I think of the notion that by wearing a shirt to school that has an image of a gun on it, that that is perceived as being, I don't know, disruptive, threatening, etc. All right, 855, and um, in a message to the parents last week, the school superintendent said that courts have recognized legitimate pedagogical, whatever that is, concerns in preventing violence. Um, wearing shirts with images of weapons is not an issue of free speech, and it can be respectfully regulated by the district. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I guess here's where I come down on this. First of all, if this was a big deal at the school, would I discourage my kids from wearing them? Yeah, I would. I, I'm not sure this is something that needs to be a federal case. I, I And I, if I was the parent, I wouldn't make it one. At the same time, I guess this notion that this T-shirt or these T-shirts, which are really pretty benign, that these T-shirts are any more disruptive because they, they picture a holstered handgun than, I don't know, somebody who wears some other sort of a T-shirt advocating for legalized marijuana or whatever. The fact that this is somehow more controversial than those – I, that's where I'm having the problems with. If you want to have a policy that bans you know, T-shirts that represent any sort of political or social cause, all right, th- then that's what you have the policy for. But if you're going to pick and choose, I think that there is an issue. If these were my kids, would I sue? No. Would I tell them, okay, just wear a different shirt, you know, wear these shirts, you know, when you're on your own? Yes. But is the school district right in telling these kids that they can't wear the shirts, I think they've got an issue with that. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, I go back to my basic premise. I, I just think these particular shirts, could you wear a T-shirt with an image of a firearm on it that was, in fact, disruptive and dangerous and threatening? You could. But that's not what this is. It certainly doesn't seem to me that that's what this is. This is this paranoia that we have with anything related to firearms. And I think if the school district is going to try to stop these kids from wearing it, they need to have a much clearer and much broader dress code. All right. Should they be allowed to wear the T-shirts? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk, Chris in Waukesha. Hi, Chris. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Hey, Jeff. Uh, my son goes to school, Kettle Marine, and uh, there was just a couple points I wanted to uh, bring to attention. Sure. Not that I agree or disagree, I guess, but mo- 
both these uh, young students uh, apparently are pretty well-respected uh, kids at the school, uh, academically as well as behaviorally. One of the, one of the kids, uh, his dad is an ex-Marine, and their family has grown up uh, being pretty pro-gun as far as hunting and working on them. Right. Also, both of these uh, young men are on uh, the skeet team uh, for shooting, so I don't... Steve Scafidi talked about the fact that he, you know, the, the controversial thing that they wore, and then they were trying to drum up the water and whatnot. And I don't, I don't think that suits the character of these kids. From what I've heard, I, I think they were just showing their support, like a baseball yeah. uh, player who wore something with baseball on it, not condoning that wearing a gun on your shirt. I guess is accurate, but. Well, but at the same time, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't perceive it as threatening. I mean, see that—that's the thing. I mean, the, the argument is you—you you show up with a T-shirt that you know has the Wisconsin concealed carry thing on it, and and that means it's somehow threatening. I just don't buy that. I, to me, it's the equivalent of showing up with a heart. I'm sorry, thanks for calling. We're going to go background. It, to me, it's kind of like. I, I don't know. Is, is it is it that much different than showing up with like a Harley Davidson T-shirt, an image of a motorcycle on it? I mean, it's it is a product. Now, could you have a T-shirt which is in fact threatening? Yeah, yeah, you can. Now, if the school wants to implement, and maybe this is a good idea, you know, if, if they want to implement a policy saying, okay, we're we're not going to allow T-shirts to come in that have that advocate for social policies or that um support particular businesses. So, okay, you know, don't you you can't you can't wear an NRA shirt to school, but you also can't wear a Harley shirt to school and you can't wear a Culver shirt to school or or whatever. That's okay. I, I think you can do it. My hang up and again, if would I have sued over this? No. If if I heard about this, I would have discouraged my kid from wearing the shirt to school because I would have rolled my eyes and I said, well, I think the principal's kind of out to lunch on this one. But you know what? There, there's a lot of bigger issues that are out there. And, you know, you want to get an education, kind of, you know, move on. And so live and learn. She's wrong, I think. But, you know, we're, we're not going to file a lawsuit on this. But but that's not the way this has gone down, which is why I started off this conversation by saying I, I think the school district, unless – Unless their dress code is a lot clearer than I believe it is, and unless they have, I don't know, disallowed a lot of other T-shirts, I think they're on a losing cause in this one. I think, you know, the whole notion that, gee, anybody who shows up with any sort of an image of a firearm, that's automatically going to be perceived as threatening to other people. Well, all right, if that's really the case, then the school district has a heck of a lot of education to do because my guess is there's all sorts of people at Kettle Moraine who grew up around military families like this one case might be or around hunting families or whatever and who recognize that, you know, firearms in and of themselves aren't aren't these evil bogeymen. And the idea that, again, I, I call this pearl clutching. The idea that you have some of these school officials, just like you have some legislators, who who just sit there and they clutch their pearls and they look for stuff to be upset about. Oh, my gosh, you know, that this kid shows up with this T-shirt that's got the image of some company that makes guns or supports gun rights. Oh, this is going to be terrible. Everybody's going to freak out. Well, okay, you know, why don't you try to look at the bigger issues? Now, like I said, if I was the parent, I would say just wear something different. This isn't worth the fight. But deciding that they have picked the fight – 
I think there's a very good chance that they are going to win unless the school district decides to get considerably more restrictive with its dress code. And then then the question becomes, is it really worth all that effort? Because does anybody really feel threatened because some good kid shows up with a T-shirt that says NRA? This It's not an NRA T-shirt in this case, but you get my point. My answer would be, yeah, just kind of let it go school district. That would be my advice. They're not going to follow it, and we're going to go into the courts, and we'll see how it all works out. I wouldn't be surprised if the school district loses. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, I hope it works, but color me skeptical. Now, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I am no fan of the hundred-plus million-dollar Tom's Trolley Folly, the 2.1-mile streetcar line that essentially goes from the bus depot to the Lower East Side, the herb, the uppy, up, um, the yuppie bar mover. His really only purpose is to, I don't know, take people who are too lazy to walk a couple blocks and drop them off closer to certain bars. All right, but that, that's okay. So, so we've got that, and and I, I, I hear all the time about oh, the projections are exceeding the projections of the ridership are exceeding what we thought. Well, yeah, not really, because the plan always was that they were going to charge for rides, and they've made the decision that if if we charge for rides, ridership is going to drop off the cliff, and we don't want that to happen. So what we're going to do is we're going to make it free. We're going to try to come up with the money elsewhere. And, and that's all well and good, but it means that all these projections on rides, well, we think there's going to be 1,700 a, a day, and there's actually 1,900 or 20, 2,000, but it, but it's it's a difference. It's apples and oranges. It's based on we thought 1,700 if people had to pay. Now it's 2,000, but it's free. So you're, you're comparing apples to oranges. But as as long as they and of course the way they calculate who's on it, don't even get me started on that. The, the it's sort of the let me say that it is an imprecise system at best. But regardless, what they're trying to do now is find revenue enhancements, other ways that they can get money to support the operating costs for the streetcar, because I think they've pretty much given up on ever charging for rides. So one of the deals they have is they, they've announced that they are they're going to set up all these advertising kiosks, these smart kiosks along the streetcar route, 35 smart kiosks. And what they're going to do is these kiosks will have, you know, information you can find about, you know, restaurants that are in the area and businesses that they're in the area. They'll have touch screens so you can figure out when the next trolley is coming along, multiple languages to help navigators, users navigate the transit system. Okay, it, it's 2.1 miles. It's the bus depot up to the Lower East Side. But but okay, that, that's fine. So they're, they're going to do all this. And the way this is going to supposedly generate revenue is that they're good it's going to be it's going to be private so there's a private company that puts these things in and what the private company does is they go out and they sell advertising in the community here buy an ad on our kiosks you know and we'll give you placement okay i'm i'm all in favor of that now here's where i get a little bit skeptical the kiosks this is what it says in the journal sentinel are expected to generate 300 to 500,000 in annual ad revenue to support the operations of the city's trolley 300 to 500,000 
That's a boatload of money. Now, it got my attention because I will tell you, media companies all over this country are trying to figure out how to monetize digital stuff like this. And when you hear three to $500,000 for you know, 35 kiosks that are on the same little path. That That's that's a lot of money. But I'm curious as to where this comes from. It, it gets even more interesting. Under the agreement, the city gets 20% of the ad revenue for the first three years. Okay, 20%. So let's assume on the low end, they are saying it's going to generate $300,000. Okay, well, all right, that means you're going to have to generate $1.5 million in advertising revenue in the first year? I mean, if, if, if the city's getting 20%, um, if the city's getting $500,000, that means $2.5 million? I mean, seriously? I, and again, I, I color me skeptical on this. Maybe I will be proven wrong. You know, maybe they're going to have the best crew of salespeople out there. Maybe people are going to be flocking to advertise on these kiosks. I'm just saying at 20%, you know, you're going to have to generate, you know, millions of dollars in ad revenue a year off of these 35 kiosks. Now, maybe, like I say, they've got great salespeople and they know there's this huge demand. Will people advertise? Well, sure, they'll advertise. But, but. Millions of dollars, millions of dollars on these kiosks. Well, I, I will tell you this. My guess is there's a, if, they, if they're able to do it, there's going to be a lot of media companies and the newspaper downtown, everybody who's trying to figure out, you know, like the newspapers, they're still trying to figure out how you make any money at all on digital advertising. If these 30-plus kiosks are able to generate a couple million dollars in revenue in order to kick back 20% of the city, well, I think they've probably got some of the best salespeople in the country hired. Color me a little skeptical. Maybe it'll work. I'm just not going to hold my breath on that one.